Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're a newbie, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. So you're in very good hands. And later in the show, the Cougs open with a W. And in just a sec, the Astros with some rare September drama. So some good stuff coming up. But Sean, the Texans came out with their unofficial depth chart. And tell me how you interpret the Texans starting offensive line for Sunday based on it. Is it Jared Patterson at center, Josh Jones at left guard, and George Fant at right tackle? Or is it Jones at right tackle, Patterson at left guard, and Kendrick Green at center? How do you see it? Ooh, yikes. Uh, I don't think it's any one of the ones you just mentioned, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, George Fant's been the right tackle since Titus Howard went out. Uh, Titus Howard was wearing the club on his left hand during practice uh, on Monday. We didn't get to see any them do anything outside of individual drills. They were working on run blocking, pass blocking, um, and then just other agility drills and stuff like that. Did a lot of stretching, and I knew that was going to be the case. So we didn't get a chance to see, like, okay, who could be their first and second and third team units. And I knew that was going to happen. Now, maybe we see a little bit more on Wednesday, but I'm not holding my breath. Titus Howard in the locker room was wearing nothing. He left off to his meetings with not even his left hand wrapped. Titus is a gigantic human being to begin with. I didn't notice any abnormal size to his left hand in terms of like swelling still being prevalent. Granted, you're three weeks, three and a half weeks removed from him and his initial break in the surgery. So it's still pretty early on in the process for the four to six weeks. So it's going to be interesting if he actually decides to give it a go. But full dress, I would assume he was a full participant in practice, given that he was fully dressed and it was clubbed up. I'm basing what I'm reading with the depth chart based on the fact that he's not going to start, obviously, in the first game. You would have to base it on that. So it, that's what I'm saying. If he does well, yeah. start. Then, then here's the thing. Josh Jones is listed as the number two right tackle. So you would mm -hmm. think, well, he starts, but he's listed as the number one left guard on the depth chart. And that's where the real confusion is for me, because here's the deal. If you move him over to left guard, then George Fant's the, the right tackle. And that's, that's my assumption. J Jared Patterson's the starting center. But Patterson is also listed as the starting left guard. So if you go, okay, no, he's, he's listed as the starting center. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, the number guard. two left guard behind Josh Jones. So you would assume if Jones is playing right tackle instead of Titus Howard, you know, then it's, it's Patterson moving from center to left guard. And then you're moving Kendrick green. So I guess the question I've got for you is what are you comfortable with? And what do you think is going to happen? I'm comfortable with, and what I think is going to happen is, pretty synonymous um i'm thinking laramie tunsil left tackle michael dieter left guard kendrick green center mason at right guard and fan at right tackle with jones probably spelling fant at right tackle and i'm just i'm basing that off of like what they're most comfortable with and what i think the texans believe they're best at the depth chart doesn't mean a darn thing to me at this point in time just because we haven't seen it you know what i'm saying so all you're left, you're, you're, you've been given this massive jigsaw puzzle 
you you kind of got a glance at what the the cover of the box was, but it's one of those things where it could be this in this light and this in the other kind of a light. You know what I mean? We saw it in one light in the preseason and in training camp. Then they added a couple pieces, so you don't really know how they fit in. Well, but, what I noticed though is Dieter's not even listed. And on the depth chart. So you're saying Dieter jumps in front of everybody, even though he's not even listed in the depth chart as well, starter back It's because Dieter's on the practice squad officially, and they could call him up and make him active on game day. John Mechie's listed as the third wide receiver on the depth chart. I don't think that dude's active on game day. He hadn't practiced. So why the hell are you going to make him active? Uh, I think Steven Sims is going to be that sixth receiver. Um, but if you, if, you if you bring Dieter up, don't you have to drop somebody? Whereas Mechie, you can just move him to the inactive list. You're saying Dieter's practice squad, so that means somebody's got to come off the roster, right? Yeah, and maybe it's uh, Dare and Gumbawale. Maybe it's John Mechie. Maybe it's Brevin Jordan. I, I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I, You know, I guess uh, Alex Austin, you know, could be another guy, Neville I don't think they'd take Neville off. They like him on special teams. Yeah, I mean, I think one of those four guys that I just mentioned, um, that would be your candidate. So it, it's going to be interesting, you know, how they how they kind of play this. Maybe we learn a little bit more tomorrow morning and throughout the rest of the week leading up to game day. Uh, we get to see practice on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. So maybe we'll have a better idea. But just unofficial depth chart. It's funny, like, in the NFL – we do this more so than I think in any other sport. And it's just because there's so much going on, man. They pull the wool over our eyes every year. The unofficial depth chart feels like one of those things that we should be like, Oh yeah, that'd mean a darn thing. I'm just saying that because I haven't seen what's actually on the depth chart. Uh, I can only tell you what I've actually seen what the rest of us that go out there to practice every single day have actually seen. And it doesn't line up with what you've seen on the depth chart. Josh Jones Hey, NFL-level starting player on that offensive line, I don't think the dude's ever taken one single solitary snap at left guard. So why the hell would you slot him in there? He's played right guard. He's played right tackle. He's played left tackle in this league, not left guard. So I'm not slotting him in there. Jarrett Patterson, he was thrown into the fire just like Drew Scruggs was because, well, they drafted him to play freaking center. Yeah, he could play left guard, but... He hadn't played left guard with the ones. He played center with the ones. So I'm not slotting him anywhere other than center at this point in time. Granted, two weeks is a pretty decent amount of time, I guess. It's not even really been two weeks because they had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off this past weekend. Um, granted, that was just official. Like, I'm sure if they needed to get work in, they got their work in without anybody really knowing about it. But there's been time to study film, to get reps, to learn a playbook, to learn responsibilities at various positions. So your guess is kind of as good as anybody's, to be honest with you. But I'm just telling you right now from what I've seen, what I think guys are best suited at, what I think they're most comfortable with. And I asked Josh Jones to his face last week. I said, hey, what are you most comfortable with? What do you like the best? And dude said right tackle. I said, okay. I talked to Dieter yesterday. I said, hey. What do you like best? He didn't give me a straight answer because he'd said, well, you know, I could play anywhere and I like playing center and I, I like playing left guard. <laughs> you know, he isn't, just really isn't it weird, though, that Dieter you're, you're predicting Dieter's going to start at left guard and they made these trades for other guys in the middle. Kendrick yeah. Green and, and Brokel or, or Broker or Rocker, whatever mm -hmm. his name is. So they made the, the, the deals for those two guys. 
And you're saying they still like Dieter, even though they haven't even put him on the regular roster yet. They're trying. I, to- I I like Dieter. I thought he was more than serviceable stepping in in that spot. I think, yeah, you made trades to get guys, but you made trades to get guys to create more competition and find out who that best guy is going to be for the long haul. But maybe you start with whom has maybe the most synergy, the most chemistry with the others on the offensive line. And who would that be better than a guy like Michael Dieter, who's been here since March? You know what I'm saying? Who's got more familiarity with the playbook than a Kendrick Green? Who's got more familiarity with the playbook than Josh Jones? And I think the determination on if he has better ability is something that will lend itself out this week in practice and maybe through the first couple of weeks of the uh, of the season. Yeah, I, I'll just say if, if Kendrick Green is your starting center over Jared Patterson, that, that there's nothing that would scare me to death more. I, Josh Jones and George Fan, I'm not I don't have like a, a dog in that fight either way. I, I think they're both pretty decent. Maybe Josh Jones has got a slight edge. As far I don't as I don't want to body shame anybody, dude. Uh, you know, but yeah, this is sports, man. We have fun. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to Kendrick Green in the locker room. I saw him. He was there, but you know, he was changing and about to go to the shower. When I saw him stand up, I was like, man, he just, he talked about undersized dude and somebody that if you bumped into him anywhere, the last thing you'd think to yourself is like, this dude's a freaking football player. And I thought back to the very first time that I met Casey Hampton, a former nose guard for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I went to the visiting locker room one time when the Steelers were in town years and years ago. And I'm standing, you know, me to him, I mean, right in front and center. You know, I'm interviewing him along with everybody in the scrum. And I'm thinking like, man, this looks like a dude that I might bump into it like the bowling alley, you know, that's just like some badass on Friday nights. Like, (laughs) last thing I'm thinking is a perennial Pro Bowl nose guard in the NFL. But this is Casey Hampton listed at like six one, and he was like maybe five nine, maybe I'm five eight in shoes, man. And, and I just remember thinking like, whoo! And I thought the same thing with Kendrick Green, but very short arms too, right? He's got like one of the, some of the shortest arms of any offensive I, I don't know. lineman. I don't, I don't know that, but I mean, you know, if, if you do, then cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it. I just know that Nick Casario, D'Amico, Ryan's, and Ryan's did actually address a Kendrick Green question yesterday. He didn't last week because the physical wasn't complete yet. And, you know, I asked him and he just totally glossed over that. But somebody asked him yesterday and he'd said, hey, look, they like him because he's athletic. He's powerful. He fits the scheme better here than he did in Pittsburgh. All of the kind of same rumors, rumblings that we'd heard when the uh, trade was initially made. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it's just kind of TBD. We'll wait and see. But there is a reason that they made that deal for, you know, a fifth round pick in 2024, or 25, whatever it is. We'll have to wait and see on whether or not we can crush him for it or not. But right now it was made by necessity and we'll see if he can add anything. Yeah, it's just weird. Somebody brought up, I can't remember who it was, but I saw somebody brought up the fact, could you have just traded Kendrick Green for Desmond King? That way yeah. you didn't even have I to give the up same traffic. Thing. Yeah, just that, that, that made no sense. And I, I, to me, that is one of those deals that Casario has made that I'm just like, I don't know if I know what he's, I don't really know if he knows what he's doing sometimes. And Josh Jones is somebody that I thought, okay, that's more worth it. That's a tackle. Yeah, but hold on. Round. I mean, that that is a good point. I mean, we can spend a couple minutes on this, right? Explain to me why that couldn't have happened. Why one of your best guys in the secondary, a veteran, 
versatile guy who can return kicks and punts for you, showed his versatility, graded out well, uh, according to Pro Football Focus last year, whether he was playing nickel, corner, or outside for the Texans, which he did both a lot last season. Why couldn't you, if you felt like, hey, you know what, we're good without Desmond King, why couldn't you trade him and get a player that you also needed in return and maybe a late round draft pick. Maybe you get an extra fifth in which you gave up for uh, Kendrick Green. You get the player and your pick, and you just trade a player that you didn't want anyway. Why couldn't that have happened? I don't understand that. Yeah, I heard Casario on 610 this morning on your station, and he was asked about the guys that they picked up, and he was asked about specifically Desmond King. And he, I felt like he sort of walked around it. Mm-hmm. And what I, what, what the question I wanted to ask him, you know, if, if I was sitting there and wanted to ask him something is, look, you, you made the decision not just to get rid of Desmond King because you didn't think he was good enough, but you, you, you got a guy to replace him that was a seventh round pick. And it was, it, it was somebody that you, you literally had to pick up, you know, off waivers, you know, and Alex Austin. So that was the confusing thing. And, I tell you, Sean, it's... Well, they're not replacing him theoretically with Alex Austin. They've got Tavi or Thomas and Graylin Arnold, both of which they like a lot. But the roster spot, but, I'm specifically talking yeah. about that roster spot. And and, and and the thing is with, I mean, Casario, I, I listen to him. It is the most frustrating listen ever. You know, God, you God bless you guys for, you know, trying to talk to him <laughs> on a regular basis. But Casario... There's nobody that just talks in circles for two or three minutes can be more boring when he talks. I mean, if you ask Casario what his favorite color is, I assume it's like brown or gray. You know, Casario's favorite ice cream is yeah. probably vanilla. I, I told mean, uh, he I is told, boring. I told Pendergast the other day, you know, we were discussing this and I was like, man, you know, he just never says anything. And, you know, Sean's like, yeah, you know, I know it's tough, you know. And I'm like, here's what you need to do. Like, whatever you actually want to know. Like, ask your question, he'll give you the answer, which is, as we said, you know, just talking in circles kind of a thing. But then, like, your follow-up should be like, yeah, cool story, bro, but why did you, (laughs) why didn't you trade, (laughs) why didn't you trade Desmond King? Just ask him point blank, like, and just see how that goes, (laughs) you know, and it's not going to happen, but, and that's probably why, uh, you know, Casario is not ever going to come on with me hosting because <laughs> you're not going to get a straight answer from him. But you got to yeah. say to Casario, look, I, I've got to ask you this because everybody's going to want to know this answer. You can say I can't really talk about it, however you mm-hmm. want to address it. But th- these are questions that people want to know and, and people are kind of curious about. I, I don't know. I just it's hard for me to believe that somebody like Nick Casario, when I listen to him, is some brilliant mind NFL-wise. I, I don't hear it. He doesn't give me answers that make me go, man, this guy's a genius. I, I can I can well, sense it. But you know what? I mean, I, I, I get it. Uh, he's obviously a very smart individual, but they don't have to tell you a darn thing in a press conference at all. It ultimately doesn't matter. It would certainly play better if these moves were, you know, home runs. 
And in football, you don't get those answers right away a lot of times that you do maybe in other sports. You know, you're going to see the fruits of your labor sometimes maybe the night of. In football, it's a wait and see kind of a thing, weeks, months, maybe years down the road, definitely with the draft. But that is one of the most mind-numbing, frustrating things, particularly about Casario, is that these moves, if it's a trade-up or a trade-down for a pick or if it's a just a nondescript trade when you're behind the eight ball like the Texans are in the off with the offensive line situation, you just got to wait and see. You don't know if it's a home run or not because, hell, three weeks ago, they were trotting this dude Kendrick Green around like a fullback. And again, I took a look at him in the locker room and I'm thinking like, holy smokes, dude, I remember what Vontae Leach used to look like. You don't look like no Vontae Leach. I remember, you know, what... I I know what I know what freaking uh, Dalton Keene looks like. They used him at fullback. I, I know what Andrew Beck looks like. Yeah, you yeah. don't look like any of these dudes. Yeah, that's well, that's what the Steelers were doing with him because they were trying yeah. to figure out. But you don't to... look like an offensive lineman either, man. I remember, yeah. you know, some of the biggest, baddest dudes over the years for the Texans. You don't look like any of them. You don't even look like Casey Stuttered. You know, he don't look like Casey Stuttered. Well, Casey Chris Stuttered. Myers, Chris Myers was not big. He was not a big guy. No, and Chris Myers was really good. He was very, very good. Very, very smart. And that's why you kind of just, hey, wait and see. I'm not going to body shame, but I'm just going to tell you, like, he don't look like everybody else I've seen doing what he does. But we'll see. We'll find out maybe this uh, week a little bit more and definitely uh, see what it looks like on Sunday. All right. Much more Texans in our Thursday show. Let's go to the Astros and some rare September drama. And I'll throw a stat out that you might like, Sean, because prior to Tuesday's game, as you and I are speaking, the Astros are favorites in the AL West. They have a 52.7% chance with the Mariners at 33.1% and the Rangers at 14%. So it's good news. I was surprised by that. Uh, I was talking to somebody about it yesterday. And they said the same thing. And I was like, that's crazy to me. Them being the favorites to do anything. <laughs> Um, it's just crazy to me because we're watching this team night in and night out, and I wouldn't favor them against anybody. And granted, let's just take this past week uh, as an example. Nobody wanted it. Nobody took advantage of the opportunity to step on the throat, if you will. The Mariners and Rangers both lost their respective series. The Astros got swept, and for the fourth time in a month, they'd had an opportunity in which they were either trailing the Mariners or the Rangers by at least a game to make up ground, to enter into a tie, to take a lead within the division, and they failed to do it. They'd lost 13 to 5, they'd lost 8 to 2, they'd lost 17 to 1, and now this latest time you get flat out swept by a New York Yankees squad that was playing three rookies. And at one point in time, I think it was Friday night, it was the game which the Astros only mustered four hits. All of their rookies nearly out hit the Astros' entire team. <laughs> They had three hits, and the entire squad for the Strohs had four. Then you come right back, and bam, the Astros put a whooping on the Rangers yesterday. It's about consistency. And one of these ball clubs, whether it be the Rangers, the M's, or the Strohs, somebody we're going to end up saying, yeah, they wanted it more. It feels like it's more so going to be like, yeah, this team just happened to stumble and fall forward a little bit better and more athletically than the other team. I don't know who that's going to be right now, but it, if you ask me a gun to my head, it feels like it's going to be the Seattle Mariners out of this division at this point in time. Man, I hope we don't have to put a gun to your head because this is not something I'd want to have a gun to my head on for sure. The Astros... 
with a 12% chance to win the World Series as the favorite to come out of the American League, believe it or not, which is bizarre. 12%? That's the favorite to come out of the American League? Yeah, they are the favorite to to go to the World Series out of the American League. I, and, I knew it was a favor, but at 12%, that, that's low. Like, that's really jumbled up. That's no faith in the Baltimore Orioles, maybe rightfully so. Well, well 12% there, to but. win the World Series is basically what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, I see. Well, yeah, that's fair, too, because I'm sure uh, it's a pretty lofty number with the uh, Braves and Dodgers on the other side. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the third best, and obviously the Braves are a prohibitive favorite at this point. Starting pitching for the Astros, it's hard to believe they can make it through three rounds. We've talked about that before. And then we got to go back to this, and it feels like a, I feel like a broken record, but Dusty Baker, it's just, you know, I, I don't know if he knows that we're out of spring training yet. Uh, he continues to make these bizarre decisions, and of all the strange Dusty decisions recently, Sean, my quietly most annoying, because it's so consistently nuts to me, Jose Abreu in the lineup continues to bat In the sixth spot or in the fifth spot or whatever, he's the second worst hitter on the team behind Maldonado. And when I say second worst hitter on the team, I'm talking about he's behind Jake Myers. You know, this is a guy that he's stunk. And Dusty can't tell me back of the baseball card because the back of the baseball card this year, we're five months in. It's over with. The back of the baseball card is set. Does he think he's going to hit like, 1300 OPS the rest of September and get his bat, you know, his OPS up into the 700s or something like that. And even that's not great. I don't know. Maybe he does. I think he said as much the other day, like, you know, if the guy has a good month, then all of a sudden you're forgetting about, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August, like, holy smokes, man, you tell me you're going to forget about half the damn year. I don't think so. Um, I guess we could, the guy just goes on an absolute tear, but (laughs) it's not likely Man, I, I'd never heard a manager talk about, like, projected numbers before. I'm not, like, a podium guy that I got to see what he's saying after the game. More times than not, I do listen to the audio that I'm emailed. But when they're on the road, you know, I, I just I don't hear a lot of it. And I heard, man, the projection talk the other day, you know, when he pinch hit John Singleton for Chaz McCormick. And that just blew my mind. You know, well, I'd he, been, was, he was bringing up the projection of what John Singleton has done in, what, 20 games? You've seen Chaz McCormick for two years be clutch. You've seen Chaz McCormick be all-star level hitter yeah. all this year. But it depends on what numbers you want to look at. Like, okay, what's his projected numbers against a guy that throws this pitch? I can look at those numbers. What do we know? Though I'm but, saying, what do we know about John Singleton? He's he's pitching against that. that pitch That's, again. You know how many times? I mean, it's I'm getting it's to a that. joke. My, you my know point. you know what we know about John Singleton is he's been terrible. Yeah, he's, he's not a good hitter. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, but I, I give you a little bit more context. While I said you know you could look at different numbers and they might tell a different story. It's about sample size and from John Singleton for what he's been since he'd been with the Astros versus what Chas McCormick has been with a much larger sample size numbers that you could project on that. If he stinks against the guy that throws a sinker or a slider or a two seam, whatever, whatever play Holmes was spinning the other day that they didn't feel like matched up well with McCormick. I'll tell you this in games late and close in which the Astros are within a run. 
Chaz McCormick is like a 300, a 303 hitter. John Singleton in games that are late and close within a run or with even two runs. I think even within three runs, I looked at this the other day. John Singleton is an 073 hitter. But dude, as you said, stinks. So what are those projections look like what do the projections look like when you have a guy that has already been in the game because he started the game gotten three at bats had already had a hit had already been on base had already got a feel for the game how hard is it ask any player in major league baseball history how freaking hard it is to come off of the bench cold regardless of what your projected numbers say against one freaking pitch how hard is it to come off and execute and then for that dude and i don't hate i don't don't have anything against john singleton but come on bro ninth inning you're down a run you have got to swing the bat and he doesn't get it off his shoulder gets called out on strike three that can't happen that in and of itself is inexcusable john singleton honestly John Singleton doesn't deserve to be in the majors at this point because outside of the two home runs the first game, he's been bad. He was bad in Milwaukee. There's no proof that he he can do anything. And the other part about it is he doesn't play anything but one position. He doesn't play that position great. You can bring up a Joey Loperfito who can play multiple positions for you off the bench and who's had a great minor league uh, year this year and kind of a breakout year. But it would be worth it to give that guy a shot. You know, I don't think he's on the 40-man, so it might be worth getting him up. But you can take Singleton off, of course. That's a way to get him up. But, yeah, John Singleton doesn't deserve to be out there. And he does, look, Dusty, I, I want Chandler Rome to just ask you next time, hey, brother, you hate Chas McCormick. Quit lying to us. Like, you just – you tell me you don't hate Chas McCormick, you just proved it. You know, you you have no respect for him. And and Dusty said, as far as how he plays the center field, well, they all have different strengths. Mm-hmm. Then he went on to tell us how, well, if he was Julio Rodriguez, well, Chaz has got uh, uh, OPS 50 points higher than Julio Rodriguez. He's a better hitter than Julio Rodriguez is this year. Now, if the issue is his defense, how does the defense have anything to do with pinch hitting John Singleton for him late in the ball game? The, the thing that he does well is hit. And hitting the clutch. And it's just, it's, it, this is beyond idiocy with, with what the decisions that Dusty has made. And I get it. He just won you a World Series and all of that stuff. But, you know, Dusty has a long career of fan bases turning on him based on the fact that he makes some really questionable decisions. He's a great person. He's a great person guy. But when you're in a close race, this isn't, you know, he talks about it like it's, this is the little league. Well, everybody's got to play. Everybody's got to stay sharp. Sean, what month is it? What's the what, what what's the difference in the standings right now? Everybody's got to play. Everybody's got to stay sharp. Okay, fine. I get it, but that doesn't mean you have to change your lineup every single day. Guys can get work in, stay fresh in other ways. It happened for, you know, two centuries prior to 2023. I, I look at the lineup today and you go Altuve Peña Alvarez. Cool. Bregman Tucker cool. You got a Brayu in there. You got Chaz in there. You got Dubon. You got Maldonado. Where's Yiner Diaz? A night in which Fromber Valdez is on the mound. Fine. I get it. Whatever. 
Go with Maldi catching. I'm cool with that. Get Abreu's butt out of there. Put Yiner in there. The lineup is good enough to overcome the shortcomings of Maldonado. And we talked about this. It's pitching. It's advanced stats. All these things. The situations. But every excuse that you hear from Dusty Baker and these guys, they're not. They're not tangible things that you know fans have or even care to have at the ready to make it an easily excusable decision if it doesn't work out in their favor. You know, don't talk to me about all these, you know, XYZ plus numbers and this, that, and the other thing. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care about all that stuff to a certain degree. At surface level, we know who should be out there, who your best players are. Yiner is one of them. And I could hear an argument that, you know what, if Yiner was catching every single day and putting the wear and tear on his body and doing that, then the projected numbers look probably a little bit different offensively for him if he's catching every day versus, you know, playing first and then DH and then maybe catching a day or two a week as he but, is now. But aren't I his numbers that. better when he is catching? Aren't his offensive numbers better? Yeah, I mean, what's it? Yeah, but you're missing, wear and tear. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't have yeah. to no, they are. They are. Anything. No, okay. That, that, they, they are. Hold on, hold on. They might be, but you're missing my larger point here. And I don't want to like die on this hill right now. I'm just saying, every day, like, okay, maybe his numbers are better right now when he catches, but he doesn't catch every day. I'm just saying, if he was catching literally every day, his projected numbers probably look a little bit worse. And maybe they do. Of course they would over time. Like how many catchers that catch every day for years, you know, are able to put up great numbers every year. Those are Hall of Famers. You know what I'm saying? That's the only point that I was making. And and it's all just to say, so what? You have to do what is best for your ball club. And what's best for your ball club is that while both him and Maldi have crap defensive numbers at catcher and bad framing statistics and all of that. The only thing that you could say about Maldi is that, okay, he's got more of a prowess to handle the pitching, but isn't Yiner's offense more valuable that it would usurp all of his shortcomings defensively and what you'd be missing from having Maldonado out there? To me, it's the same thing that you'd said about Maldonado if you're Dusty Baker last season where, oh, yeah, we don't need him to hit because – you know, we just care about what he gives us at the plate. Well, this year it's magnified and it's cost you more. So you can't afford to keep that status quo is all I'm saying. Yeah. And here's the other thing. We, you keep talking about catcher. He can play first base. He can be. That's where he needs to play right now is my point. You got to get a Braves bat out of the lineup, get him yeah. out of the lineup and put Yiner at first. There are three spots to put him in. And it seems like Dusty has a problem finding a spot to put him in, which is yeah. just beyond a joke. Uh, let's get to the year Cougars who won their opener 17, 14, but Sean, they had fewer yards, fewer first downs and the rush defense looked like the Texans. They gave up 200 yards in rush defense. The three third quarter interceptions, it saved their butt in this game. It did, you know, and Hey, the picks were cool, but I liked what I saw in general from the secondary, even when they weren't, you know, intercepting passes. Malik Fleming was awesome. Um, Payne, you know, had a huge pick down in the red zone. Um, I, mean, I think I think it was him in the red zone, or it might have been Fleming. But um, I, the only thing I feel like I can hang my hat on right now that I'd really like is their secondary defense. I don't know that they got but maybe two stops on third down all night. Um, 
UTSA just kind of did whatever they wanted to do. And boy, did Houston look bad defensively when they decided to go hurry up. Uh, the offense was stagnant. Um, they ran a lot of bunch formations and with an athletic quarterback like Donovan Smith, and you've got some dudes that can get out off the edge, you get them into space, space, Mathis and Sneed can make some dudes miss and they can go. Um, I, I worry about their offensive line. I worry about their offensive play calling. I worry about, uh, what this team is going to look like when it gets real here in a couple of weeks and you face a, a TCU squad and never mind what you think they are now after what happened against them in Colorado. I can still tell you this, it's going to be a good football team. And you got West Virginia and you got Texas, you know, coming in in a number of weeks, it's going to get hard. It's going to be a rude awakening this season. If in fact you don't get significantly better, just fundamental stuff um, that, that has me worried. Like, look, it's always good to get a dub, but you're not going to pick some of the better quarterbacks off three times you're not going to get away with you know the 200 yards a little fluffed up a bit because about three of those there was about three plays in which they're running back for UTSA like they were like picked up in 25 30 yard chunks and I think those are some big flash plays that should concern you about this linebacking core about the lack of pressure that the defensive line can get uh, on opposing offensive lines. That's a concern. So it's a dub, but, man, it looks like it's going to be a long road and could be a really difficult year for Dana Holgerson offensively. The, the only thing I will say, to give the offense a little bit of credit, is maybe this is more Donovan Smith geared, but he looked to settle in and looked a little bit more comfortable as the game went along. And um with new new environment, new offense, like I, new verbiage. I get the whole thing that may be natural. He's just got to come out, and they got to let him go. They got to let him go because if he's having to scramble for his life this season, it's going to be a really long year for him. The offensive line, it looked like a jailbreak for most of the game from what I saw. And then also you talk about Donovan Smith and letting him go. You know, you hear Holgerson after the game say, you know, we simplified things where we, you know, we, we did, we haven't done as much and you're simplifying things with not a freshman, not a red shirt freshman. You're simplifying things with Donovan Smith, the guy that's a veteran in the big 12 against not even a big 12 opponent. Why are you simplifying? Why would you need to simplify things for Donovan Smith? Yeah. Well, maybe you need to simplify, you know, your offense. Um, maybe, maybe it's too, too trumped up you know what i mean um maybe that should be a look in the mirror type situation he did. For you know he what says I mean? he did no i, I you know yeah I, I know he, i know what you said and i know what he said simplified it for smith but maybe it's not about smith i think that's kind of how we would read that like you simplified it for that guy maybe you need to simplify it for everybody else because it's too trumped up um maybe it's too complex Maybe and unnecessarily like spread this darn thing out. Don't make it so difficult. Um, you've got some dudes. I think you saw it. Um, you didn't know what this was going to look like without Tank Dell. You didn't know what it was going to look like without some stud defensive linemen that you'd lost and linebackers, you know, over the last few years. And I still think defensive line wise, athletically, like they, they can, they could do some things. They could be disruptive, but let's just stick with the offensive side of the ball right now. Sam Brown looks like a freaking dude. Matt Golden looks like he could legitimately be a number one, uh, a good combo, you know, between uh, uh, Snead and Mathis. I like what those guys can do running the football, especially on the edge. 
problem was their right tackle, their left tackle wasn't worth a damn the other night. They couldn't set the edge, even when they were running, you know, an extra H back in there. They couldn't reach the backer. You know, they were getting swallowed up, touched at the line of scrimmage and having to double back jump cut. And, you know, you were looking at two yards in a pile of dust sometimes when they couldn't get off the edge on a bubble screen or something like that. Brandon Campbell looks like a pretty good solid dude as a third down back. But, I mean, hell, how many situations were the were the Cougars actually in the other night where he'd come in handy, where you were looking at third and shorts, um, where you could have him out there? I almost wanted to put his butt out there as an extra tight end off the right side and say, hey, uh, give it to Snead. Let him get up and go. Put his head down and go. Um, Holgerson, I, if we're going to see it, maybe we see it against Rice. Um but, hell, even Rice was kind of annoying to a Texas team the other day that they hung around in the first half. Hell, I think it was 13-3 early third quarter before Texas finally decided to do something. They didn't look terrific either. Um, 37-10, to Texas being, you know, almost top 10 ranked team in this country. I think, what were they, 11 coming into the season right now? Hell, they should have beat the brakes off of Rice. Um, they got a lot of new coaches, a lot of new faces in that program. That damn thing should have been 57-10 to in the first half. Um, so the Cougs got a long way to go and Holgerson's got to figure it out right now. Cause I think Donovan Smith is really freaking good. I almost feel like they were holding them back. Yeah. I'm worried that the, the biggest victory that the Cougs are, will have this year is the uniforms. And by the way, they look sweet. I mean, uh, just, don't get used to uh, it. I think they're going away. I think it was a one once in one, one and done kind of thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, but there, there will be, uh, conversation to bring that back for sure. I yeah, I, uh, I think if 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 they can, hey, they will they need to bring it back for UT. UT comes in. Uh, was it like the twenty third? I think it's sometime in September. I believe. I think it's uh, October, isn't it? It's not maybe, October. Yeah, may, maybe you're right. I think uh, let's see. Oh, because hell, it's already September fifth. Uh, yeah, let's see. You got Rice and you got TCU. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably in October. I think it's towards more the middle part of the season. But, man, I mean, you know, big game. Uh, the ticket prices for that thing are just astronomical. It's crazy. Um, that's going to be a sellout. Hell, they put almost 38000 in TDECU the other night. Texas is going to be stacked. It's going to be an electric atmosphere, at least for the start of the game. And hopefully the Cougs can make it interesting and put themselves in position to steal one. But, yeah, if you brought them back, it would have to be for that game, I think. It's the 21st of October. So there you go. It's not that far away. It's about a little over maybe six weeks, seven weeks, maybe, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, hell, it'll be here before you know it, man, because when football season – I mean, football season's here. It just – time goes by fast. All right, well, we'll have a little bit more of a Texans preview, get a little bit into the, into the Ravens game and other stuff going on. And by Thursday, uh, we should have a better idea of where the Astros are in this AL West as they play the Rangers. Of course, right now as we're recording this, it's before game two, the Rangers game two, so uh, we'll see what, what what's going on with that a little bit better. But uh, looking forward to Texans. We'll have our first live regular season show of the year on Sunday, Texans and Ravens. So make sure you are subscribed so you know when we pop up and when we're ready to go and we're ready to talk. But uh, looking forward to that. Thanks again, Sean, for another great one. Enjoyed it, man. It's a great time of year. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us 
and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Attack!